As we begin this time together in a sermon series that focuses on the uh, tiny little epistle of James, um, one thing stands out in my mind uh, more than any other, and that is that this book of James has had such a beleaguered history. You may be aware of that. Um, I may not be telling you anything new, but uh, from even as early as the fourth century, there were Christian leaders that were questioning um, its authorship and also, um, at least by the time of Martin Luther in the 16th century, um, the very nature of how it could be included was raised as a question. Um, It's interesting to think about that Martin Luther would raise that kind of question. Of course, everything was under the magnifying glass for him as he began to evaluate what the church was missing um, as had been revealed through Scripture. And as he looked and as he read, his heart was drawn to uh, move away from the meticulous nature of duty as the church had come to know it and to reclaim this Pauline structure of grace and faith as being the very center of life. You remember that in Ephesians chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul wrote, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. The Apostle Paul truly did help us to come to a reconsideration of what was the essence of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But Martin Luther was the one that elevated the Apostle Paul for us to be able to see this part of his writings. Works versus grace and faith. Between these two, Martin Luther said that there is no contest, that our salvation comes by grace and by faith. When he read James, he was so perturbed by its writing that he gave it the name an epistle of straw and even suggested that it was time for it to be removed from the Holy Scripture. Can you imagine the very leader of the Protestant Reformation suggesting that any book be taken out of the Bible? But this one, in his mind, did not stack up to Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and the Gospel of John and the first letter, the first epistle of John. All of these were such that there was a depth, a theological depth that Martin Luther embraced And he did not see anything redeeming 
about the book of James to put it on the same level as these other books. He appreciated it as good literature and was grateful that it did not lead us in the direction of following just the world's ideas of what is good. But he did not have a lot of respect for this little book. But the baby did not get tossed out with the bathwater, and for that I'm grateful. Aren't you? There are precious words to us that call us in our faith to understand how important it is for that faith to be evidenced in work. John Wesley reflected on these matters in great detail. This founder of the Methodist movement, this renewal movement that again was put in place to reclaim territory that the church seems to lose over and over again. John Wesley encouraged persons to embrace works of piety, works of prayer and works of worship, communion, baptism, gathering in the family and gathering in the community for worship. But he also said that an important part of the way in which God saves us is through works of mercy, caring for people, reaching out, and being concerned about those that are around us. I have to confess to you that I wonder at times about the effectiveness of my preaching. Oh, it's not based on things that you say, and for that I'm very grateful. You are a gracious bunch. When I stand at the door and you come out, you say very kind things, but I keep waiting for someone to say something that I might not like as well. Who knows when that day may arrive. You all are gracious hosts, but what troubles me is that the opportunities for us as we gather in this place, and I'm listening as well, I'm preaching to myself as I share these words with you. As we are gathered here, these are fleeting opportunities that you and I have to be in the presence of the word of God. It's probably good that I don't come around and ask you on Wednesday or Thursday, what did I preach on Sunday? In fact, I don't give you permission to ask me what I preached on this past Sunday (laughs) because all of this is our leaning into the word, but my mind goes on to the next sermon that I'm going to preach. What concerns me, though, is that you and I are not connecting the dots like we should, and that the picture of the gospel 
has these gaping holes left to this Sunday idea of what it means to be Christian, you and I leave great spaces that need to be fleshed out in our lives as to what it means to be a follower of Christ. Tolstoy, the great Russian novelist, wrote a story in which he told of a well-to-do woman who enjoyed going to the theater. On this particular night, she was there at the theater, and it was just such a moving drama. And as she looked upon the scenes on the stage and saw human suffering up close and portrayed there by the actors and actresses, she was moved to the point of tears. But as Tolstoy continues to tell the story, while all of this is going on, her coachman that had brought her to the theater is standing beside her carriage in the freezing cold. She exits the theater, enters into that carriage, the warmth of that space, while he takes her home. And there is no connection that she makes in her mind between the human suffering that she has seen on the stage and the human suffering that is right in front of her. One of my favorite preachers is Barbara Brown Taylor. She has a fascinating mind. She had preached one Sunday, and even by her assessment, she felt like she had done a pretty good job. But as she was standing in the narthex and greeting persons on the way out of church, one man came to her and said, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. And she said, you're what? And he said, on account of your sermon, I'm quitting my job tomorrow and I'm going out on the mission field. And she looked at him in disbelief and she said, get a grip, man. It was just a sermon. <laughs> I know you, you, have, you have expectations of what you were going to receive when you came in here. I mean, did you expect that this would change your life in any way? I mean, really, the truth comes around. Did I expect that it would change your life in any way? But isn't that why we're here? I mean, come on, isn't that why we're here? We're gathered in this place in order that Christ might mark our lives and use us for his purposes because we tend to forget this is what James is saying. It's like we look in a mirror, we walk away. We can't even remember who we are. We come and and see God up close and see our relationship to God on Sundays, but then ask us on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday what's going on. And it's almost as if nothing has happened because the thought just leaves us which is why it's so important. He says, you must be doers of the word and not only hearers. I remember hearing persons say in past years more than in present that idleness is the devil's workshop. I bet you've heard that before too. And the way that I've always interpreted that was that if you're not busy doing something, then you're probably gonna get into mischief. 
you're going to be doing some things that you should not be doing. And that may well be the case. In fact, I'm evidence of that case in certain instances. But I think that the greater issue here is that in idleness, we forget, we tend to forget what God is up to and what he wishes to call us into in this life. Faith has a built-in component of obedience. It is crucial that we get this right. Faith obeys. Action and response is required for our salvation. We who wish to make this simple will say again, quoting Paul, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That is nice and clean, but it is not real. If you and I come here to this place and think on the gospel and then go and it is not a part of our lives through the rest of the week, have we really received the salvation of God? James says, you must be doers of the word. This is a non-option. You must be doers of the word and not only hearers who mislead themselves. Fred Craddock, my homiletics professor who taught me preaching or tried to teach me preaching when I was in school, he died this past spring. Some of you remember the Sunday following his death. I was stuttering. I was, I was so overwhelmed by the loss of Fred Craddock. He, it was like the change of an age in my mind. Fred Craddock told the story of having heard about a, a man who was in the hospital back in the 1980s. Um, and it was in Atlanta. He was there uh, in his early 20s. He had gotten HIV which had translated into AIDS, and he was gasping his last breaths when some of those that were on hospital staff said a pastor should visit. Isn't there somebody close to him that should know about this? He wasn't involved in the church. It happened to be the case. He wasn't involved in the church. But there were relatives of this young man who were involved peripherally in a congregation there in Atlanta. And so a call was made to the pastor of that congregation if he would come and visit the man who was dying. The pastor did come, knocked on the door, a nurse opened the door. He did not cross the threshold, this pastor didn't. But he shouted his prayer into the room and said amen and went away. 
word always circulates about this kind of stuff. And when words got to another pastor down in Forest Park that this had happened, she immediately got in her car and drove to the hospital, rushed into the room, lifted his head in her hand, cradled him in her arms, sang to him from her hymnal and read to him scripture as he breathed his last breaths. When this woman was asked, weren't you scared? Her response was, I was terrified. In fact, I was so scared that after I left the room, I bathed must have been 60 times. Why did you do it, they asked her. She said, when the call came to me, it just came to my mind. What would Jesus do if he got this call? How could I not go? You and I make life so easy. And yet these are the types of things that set faith in place. They are the very things that are the essence of our salvation. There must be obedience to put faith into action. How are we living into the community with the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ? Do we do a disconnect in what we hear on Sundays and what we encounter during the week? Is this critical for our salvation? James would say so. James would say, yes, this is absolutely critical to your salvation. You know, the interesting thing about this is that I'm not so sure, as Martin Luther seemed to be, I'm not so sure that the Apostle Paul wouldn't have agreed with James. I mean, you remember some of the writings of the Apostle Paul, don't you? You remember that he wrote this, love should be shown without pretending, hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourself to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. I believe, I believe the apostle Paul and James are sitting at the same table now, don't you? And what would Jesus say about all of this? Can't you just hear him? Can't you just hear him now? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet there's another, a second that is on a level with all of that. 
and you know it by heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. I hope you remember this sermon. I hope I remember this sermon. Do you think you will? Remember? Will you remember? Be doers of the word. I think it helps.